Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode of Brick by Brick is Mike Flynn. Mike is a corporate safety director at Bernard Construction Company. He specializes in heavy civil construction projects. He has a history all throughout the construction industry. I found it very practical and tactical. Let's get to Brick by Brick. Thanks for joining. Welcome to Brick by Brick. Thank you for joining me, Mike. How are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me. So your title is Corporate Safety Director. Why don't we start with explaining what a corporate safety director does on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I mean, my role is overseeing the safety of the entire corporation. And like most larger ones, there are several layers to it, but it's developing policy from that aspect, but it's also trying to track trending with our field people, hiring safety professionals, getting in on our bidding side of what things we need as we start to look at work. I get called in for some kind of expertise stuff when they have challenges to try and bring my experience to the table. And then we do a lot with industry partners and stuff that helps me expand myself, but also stay with what's current out there and try and push my knowledge and experience forward to the next generation. I love the layers concept, right? Because in a business, you need that connective tissue between the layers to make sure that's all working together. When you have a business where people, especially in construction where you are, you have people who are specialists who are very specific at their jobs and you need that generalist to sort of go through all those different layers and tie everything together and make sure, much like a conductor does in an orchestra, conduct and make sure all those processes are being followed and that you're building those processes. How much of your job is risk science, so to speak, and how much of it is the art of communication and collaboration with individuals? Well, that's can be a moving target. <laughs> Part of me says, well, 100% is communication, but I would guess 40%, though, is the risk side of trying to look ahead, see what's coming. Are we prepared for what we have now even and dealing with that? Because that is what allows you to plan your processes going forward. So it, the risk side of it is kind of the base to me. That's where you start is assessing what you have out there, what you need to deal with. And then you start to formulate the hazard assessment from that of how do you deal with it and who do you use to deal with it? And that crosses every layer. So does that mean that you went to school for safety or does that mean you went to school for communications? How does someone end up in this role? What's your story? How did you end up in that seat today? So I'm kind of the old school guy. I do not have a college degree. I did mine through blood, sweat, and tears, to be honest. it's I had a very interesting beginning in that I had done my four years in the Marine Corps and uh, decided I needed a break from authority. (laughs) (laughs) So you became the authority, essentially? (laughs) Eventually, yeah. But I mean, I just grew up in the Midwest. The Midwest was pretty stagnant in the early 80s. Had a sister in Phoenix, so me and my best friend moved out there. And just started working construction jobs, and one thing led to another. And then I actually was at dinner with a friend of mine who owns a an engineering construction company, and we were talking about 
changes in OSHA. I just happened to be abreast of that kind of stuff. I had a, I actually had a maintenance company. So you kind of had to be up on the regulations. ADA was brand new, all that kind of stuff. Right. And we were talking about it. And this guy's a big six foot ten Sicilian, really deep Italian accent named Tony Sametta. And he called me up about a week after that and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting ready to do whatever. And he goes, no, Michael, what are you really doing? And I kind of sat back and said, okay. And anyway, he took me to lunch and said, this is what I need. I need a safety person for my company. You have the aptitude for it. You take the schooling that you need. Are you interested? And I said, yeah. So that was 30 years ago. Tony treated me great. And when I kind of outgrew, because his was a smaller company, when I outgrew that, I was able to become a safety manager for granite construction down in Tucson. I did the Arizona area, and then that actually became a region. So it was Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas. I did that almost 17 years. And 10 years ago, I was offered the opportunity to take the corporate safety role here at Barnard. And that's where I've been. And it's been a great career. Yeah, it's fascinating. Do you find that because you did the job at some point in your career, that gives you a level of credibility with the people that you work with because you have a deeper understanding of that? Or it's something that sometimes when I'm talking to risk managers or people who are in safety in other areas, some of you that coming from the industry and having learned the job is really beneficial and others feel like you have to be curious, but it's not really a necessity. Where do you come down on that conversation? That's an interesting question because when the reality is I use that knowledge every day. And the fact that I can relate to what they're dealing with in the field. And now I'm of the age where I can say, you know, back in the day, we did this. And people respect that because I do understand. I mean, I was a laborer for four years. I am very familiar with the end of a shovel. (laughs) So they are surprised when they first meet me to kind of hear that background of what's kind of a blue collar mentality a little bit. But it also allows me to say, look, I understand what happens to you as you go through your career and the wear and tear on your body. Let's look forward and see what you can do to to help save your own body, save yourself, because that's the risk management side of how do you get from A to B over a 30-year span and still be healthy at B? A really, really valid point. A lot of times we talk about risk management or these other kind of elements And it's really about opportunities for the business. It's really interesting to bring in the human element, which is people are living longer. This is some people's career, right? And how do we create safe environments for them to work in where the business can thrive and also they can thrive in in having grown up with construction. My grandfather was a construction laborer, backhoe driver, and seeing him retire at like 60 because it just destroyed his body or 50 or even younger, you know, and then spend 40 more years basically not being able to walk around very much. It's really important to look at the human aspect of that and how do we make our staff safe? They can have long careers and also for a lot of them do what they actually love doing, which is building our built world. Well, and from the risk management side, we have an aging workforce. It's hard. We are struggling as an industry to bring in younger workers in. So If our average age now is 40 or 42 or 43, that is a whole different dynamic from a risk perspective than when the average age used to be 25 to 30. And there are several layers then that get added to that that you have to think about as a company. Right. That's very interesting. Let's make that transition then to some of the trends you're seeing. So aging workforce is a trend that I talk to a lot of people about both in the corporate side, like risk management and safety management in general is like, 
a lot of people doing that work are of a certain age that they're thinking about retiring in the next 10 years. And there's not a lot of young people coming in who have that experience. And because it's a relative, I think risk management jobs appeared in the early 70s, before technology really there, there's a whole body of knowledge that's not on your computer systems and not on all of this stuff, right? Because technology for you guys has always been around, how do we do our job faster? Not necessarily, how do we capture all the knowledge? And then you have the same kind of gap within the actual construction workforce themselves, the laborers doing that work. And then you have a transition that's happening, I think, right now from a sort of a globalized, less construction companies, more conglomerates coming up, more harder to be an independent in, in this day and age, these other elements. What are some of the industry trends that you're looking at that make you worried or that you feel like you guys, that the industry is addressing appropriately? That's an interesting question because we just talked about the technology side is definitely huge. Right. And the technology available it just in the last five years is exponential. So how does that equate to the workforce and kind of what we do for a living? Well, for one, you have to use it correctly. Right. That's first and foremost. So understanding how it works. But even look at the base aspects of personal protective equipment. There is a huge push right now to convert from hard hats to helmets. Totally makes sense why. The knowledge that we have on brain injuries, even today, is a hundred times what it was 10 years ago. So we've recognized we need to do a little better job of addressing that with our employees. But you've also added 10 times the cost to that one thing. So now you have these companies that are in that in-between of, man, if I'm buying $100 hard hats instead of $10 hard hats, that's a big hit on me. Do I really gain anything out of that? Well, now, as the industry, we have to get our head around the fact that, yeah, it does make a difference in the health of our employee and therefore lowers our risk. But that those are battles that are hard won because you have to kind of see it in action. Right. It's like after the claim happens, then it's like we have to get the $100 hard hats. Exactly. But before, it's an uphill battle. Is that because the industry still, from like a winning a job perspective, is the decision makers that be who choose construction companies to build them are still primarily looking at different construction companies as commodities based on bid price and other things like that and not taking in the risk that they're associating with different organizations? Is that coming into play during the the bidding process for, say, a job? Does, do people hiring construction firms care about safety record and compliance and ability to actually understand subcontractors? Are you seeing more sophisticated buyers out there, for lack of a better word? Absolutely. And that's where risk management has had a big part in the industry change. 20 years ago, the one factor that everybody talked about was your experience modification rate, right? So what is your EMR? And then it became, well, how many lost time injuries do you have? Because those are the expensive injuries, right? Well, how about how many injuries you have overall? And now we're breaking down, well, let's talk about your serious injuries besides your regular injuries. And you're still trying to address to what degree are you protecting your people or what that equates to is how much do we need to have in the kitty to make sure we cover those costs? Because our goal is absolutely zero, but the reality is that's a very difficult goal to achieve. So therefore, we need to make sure we have contingencies to deal with that and protect our employees, not only to prevent, but if something happens, how do we make sure they're taken care of afterwards? All of those things add into what you have to put in to be able to obtain work. If you're a smaller contractor, $100 makes a difference. 
If you're a large contractor, not as much, but you have this huge workforce that you have to instill that new culture in because it is a change. So it just takes time as an industry to get there. Some companies adapt very easily. Some companies will never adapt. There's still companies that don't wear hard hats. Right. From your perspective, one of the things that seems to be a trend as well is some organizations using mostly not their own employees, but subcontractors to push that risk down. And then now those subcontractors are having their own subcontractors that maybe some construction companies don't really have any visibility into who those people are. Do you see that just as that was has been forever a trend or do you see a trend moving more towards subcontracting everything and having less employees on, say, the construction company's book? And do you have a preference? Do you have a method in which you believe is the safest, most controlled way of operating? I think that's been around for a long time, to be honest. There are companies that specialize in being the construction management side and pushing all of the labor off. There are other companies, for instance, we would much rather have the risk and oversee it because we have much better control. We do use subcontractors for a lot of things, and some of it's based on the specialty of the subcontractor. Some of it's based on the price. If they can do it cheaper than us, okay, well, that's what helps us attain the work. And then we still have to provide the oversight. You look at the regulatory side of it, if you're the general contractor, it's you, no matter how many subs you have. So factor that into your plan as well. What are the costs that we're going to have in the fact that we're saving money hiring a subcontractor, but we're also assuming their risk to a certain degree. Yeah, another trend that's been coming up more and more that I keep hearing about is the idea that you have to, it used to be that if you had subcontractors or even employees, there was a lot of them out there. And as you said, there's a shortage in that in that staff. And so now in a lot of safety director roles, risk management roles, those kind of things, being a community manager and advocating on behalf of them or finding subcontractors that you really work well with and keeping them on for multiple jobs is sort of a transition that's happening where it's like really subcontractor management or employee management is much more a part of the daily job than it was in the past. It used to be like, hey, if you want to come work for us, you do these things and then that's the communication show me this paperwork, then we'll pay you. And that was kind of the end of the day. But now so many people are getting involved and in trying to engage their workforce because there's just less and less of those people available. Do you factor in that sort of community relations part of it as part of the risk and also how you guys build processes, I guess? A hundred percent. That's one of those layers where you talk about relationship building. Well, you're trying to build the culture within your own company. Well, when you find a subcontractor who does a great job for costs that help you and help them, you want to use them more and more. So you're building that relationship with them to keep that up. They become accustomed to what your standards and expectations are. You're helping them become a better company. I mean, that's a win-win. So the challenge is always when you go to a different part of the country, let's say, and they're not available well, now you're starting that relationship from scratch, but you also have a benchmark to compare to that you can start to work with that sub knowing that you're starting at that bench level and coming up. But I think having that knowledge and that relationship is what helps you get the next subcontractor back up at a quicker pace, which is also a win-win. Build your project faster, build it safer, build it cheaper, profit for everybody. 
if you're in a group of safety directors, people who do similar jobs to you, what is one of the key attributes that you think makes someone in your role very successful versus maybe doing the bare minimum? What's a character trait that you think is valuable? First and foremost, I think you have to be a really good listener because in our role, we are facilitators, right? We're like, okay, what is it you really are looking for so that I know how I can help you? And you can't have preset determinations on what that is. You have to be able to hear that. The other side of it, though, is believe in your convictions. Hey, I understand you want to do this, but there is too much risk in doing it that way. I'm telling you, don't do that. Let's look at something else and figure out a different way. And maybe it's kind of standing your ground, but you certainly have to have that positive outlook on things and go from there. I think you do have to be a bit of an authoritarian because they are expecting you to bring in your expertise and knowledge and don't shy away from that. You've earned that. Yeah, the organization, the people, everyone around you is going to be pushing on those decisions. And that is sort of the point, right? It's to have a conviction or have a wall and that things can bounce against. And if it rips through, then you have to change those convictions or change those rules. But ultimately, there has to be something that can stand up against. It's really a balance. It's a balancing act in an organization in some ways. Yeah, and it's okay to push on the line. We talk about regulatory reporting. You're allowed to push on the line. What you can't do is break right? You have to know this is where the line is. And there's various degrees of that all across the world on where that line actually is. And that's a matter of, well, how much risk as an organization do you really want to tolerate, right? How do you communicate that risk that you guys are accepting to your bosses and to the CEO of the company and to other people who, this is maybe where you've done a good job building those relationships. So that's why I want to ask you this where your like risk management safety has been kind of looked at as like the people who are the naysayers who say no, who don't, won't let us do the things we need to do to get the job done. How do you position that into, no, this is about getting the job done more effectively, or this is about opening us up to new, new jobs we can bid on, but we have to be aware of XYZ factors. How do you manage that so that you're not looked as like the naysayer part of an organization? I think the biggest thing is, is I understand production and the benefits of production because that is what pays my salary. So I'm not saying don't build this. I'm saying let's build the right way. And actually, if we build it the right way, more than likely that'll be more profitable than building it the wrong way or having to build it twice or having to call in your insurance to cover something because we just really weren't paying attention. Let's do it the right way. That's where safety and quality and the environmental all tie in and have to be equal to production. But bottom line is, if you don't build work, I'm out of a job. Right. This is something I talk a lot about around risk appetite. Like every organization has to diagnose that and understand what it is for them so that they continue to grow as an organization and not take on dumb risks. I think one of the hard things for people to understand on the outside world and just in the business world is how risk management or safety management or any of these kind of things can actually strengthen an organization because it's kind of, if you're putting processes in place and things don't happen, it's easy for someone in the organization to assume it's because things were never going to happen versus that something was reduced or de-risked by a process or by oversight. How do you manage your successes? What is it looking at 
things getting done on time? Is it, it's probably a combination of everything, but how do you recommend that another person in your position sort of communicates out the success of the program? So that's a great question because one of the factors is, and, and this is something that as safety professionals, we don't talk enough about, but in the morning, what do we talk about? Well, the bad things that happened yesterday. And we have a hard time recognizing that, yes, we had one mistake here, but we had 2,000 things go right. And we do have to remember that let's, there's a positive aspect that builds more positivity. Learn from the mistake, prevent the mistake, but it can't be all you focus on because it's done. So how do we keep going and go from there? But by the way, all of this fell in line great. And you guys did an awesome job at doing that. You, all of your safety parts were in place. Your quality looks great. You've built a great product here. Okay, let's keep going. So it's almost like a philosophical thing of starting at the very top and what is your core belief? And then have you got that all the way down to your brand new laborer? Yes, right. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea that like, it's also about communicating the wins the team has, not just the learns and changes that they need to implement on next or that you need to process into new procedures or risks. Last question I have for you is around anyone that's listening who maybe is thinking about getting into the industry or who's young in the industry. We talked about listening, but what are some of the pieces of advice that you give to someone when you're at a conference and you're talking to them over drinks? What is some of the key advice to make sure that you have a long career and a successful career in this industry? So I kind of focus on two things. First, especially new people coming in, you have to remember safety is about two things. Number one is people, okay? That's the driver and that's every part of what we do, whether it's production, environmental, quality, whatever. It's still about people. And with that, remember, there are no secrets in construction. Whatever happened, it's going to be known about if you're doing something that you don't want somebody to know about, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> it is amazing how often that happens. The other side, though, especially as you're starting to learn this process, read, know, and understand your contract. And that is at so many levels of, as a safety professional or risk manager, well, they can't be doing that. My first question is, well, what's the contract say? You have to understand the legal relationship that you have on what you can and can't do. And when you have that, it gives you the ability to coach and to challenge maybe, but to also say, nope, you have to stop. Now you're going outside of what we should be doing. And that, I think, is a huge part of, of getting to understand how our industry works in general, because everything's on based on contracts. Right. Yeah, I, I'm really surprised by how many people don't know and don't review the contract at a deep level to understand what is allowed and what isn't allowed and what force they have and authority they have in those conversations themselves. And also, if you find something, reiterating that and working with legal and working with all the other sides of the business to get those new things put into the contracts to protect the organization and protect the workers too. Yeah, it's, there's always a constant review. So, I mean, we're a large enough company. We have a legal team. Our boilerplate, pretty static, but once a year, there's always a change as we adapt to what's new and what the industry is doing, regulations, all those things. So there is nothing static in our world. It is always changing and normally moving forward. And you have to adapt to that. But you're the person out in the field connecting all of these dots together. You have to understand what it's all based on. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much for your time, Mike. I had a, a really great time having this conversation with you. I appreciate the way that you really broke this down into the layers and the human aspect of the job because it is why things get built in the first place, right? Is people put their the hammers in their hand and they build the world around us. And I really thank you for making it safer and more effective to do that. Oh, this has been a great conversation. It's been a real pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us. Head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.